I am so fired up. These last two weeks up at camp that we've been up there, man, I, they fuel my already high hopes for the future of this church. And so in the weeks ahead, we'll uh, be sharing some stories. We'll be showing some images of what was going on up there at this year's fall retreats, including our epic Battle of the Bog. Where do you see the images from there if you haven't seen this, where this soggy field became this, I don't know, this showcase really for character. We had this Proverbs panel that went even better than I hoped. Imagine all of these high school students sitting up there on these, these tall chairs, pouring into the next generation. It was high schoolers and college age. It was just so great. And then we had this immersive theme that this year included a real airplane. In the chapel, we had a real airplane in there. Yeah, we did. And it was even done in such a way where we had these spontaneous melodramas. And when this thing crashed, smoke came out and there were flames. It was just, it was something. And then there's the communion service. Oh, it was so good. Where this year with the middle school, there was a line that was stretching from the front of the room all the way to the back. I'm not exaggerating. It was it was crazy. And then we had another space um, in the back where we had uh, I Said Yes station set up, where I think about 20 of our preteen and middle school came forward and said, I want to say yes to Jesus. So their names will be up there on that wall right outside the studio here. So excited about that. And then we had another space where students could go and pray with a leader and have someone listen to them and care for them. It was so great. Young leaders being raised up and peers were praying for peers and even singing over one another. That was cool. I I looked at all the evaluations that came back and a fifth grader wrote this in their evaluation. One of the things that they appreciated most about the fall retreat was this, and I quote, supporting people when they cry. Come on. Fifth grader wrote that. This was a place last weekend and the weekend before, where artists and athletes, musicians and sound technicians, people with giftings in leadership and teaching and counseling and hospitality, we were functioning, like the scripture says, a body with many parts all united around the same purpose, a common vision. And it was fun. I asked Addie if I could share this. Addie Brandt is one of our high schoolers. And um, we were out there at that Battle of the Bog, and she's watching all these people just step up and just make the most of it. She goes, I love our culture, she says. It was so fun. There's a reason why we literally had college-age students driving down from Bemidji. Two more came up from Iowa. We had someone fly in from Texas (laughs) to be a part of this. Because of that culture, there's a better way of living than most people have experienced. And it's this better way of living that our creator not only invites us to experience for ourselves, But it's something that our creator invites us to share with others and invite them into as well. And ultimately, that's what this new teaching series that begins today is about. So let's dive in. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. What if you could dramatically change your life by doing less of something that already comes naturally? And when I say change your life, here's the kind of change I'm talking about. Let's say you're trying to provide for yourself. You're trying to provide for others. Let's say you're trying to pay off those college loans. I mean, how many would like to make an extra 30000 a year? Doing less of this thing we're going to talk about is, is linked to making about an extra 30000 a year as your salary. If you're a parent or a grandparent or a teacher or a coach or somebody that cares about kids, this is one of the most important assets you can pass on. 
to the next generation. If you lead a team, this is proven to increase creativity and productivity if you do less of this with your team. I can point to studies where businesses increased profit when they started doing less of this. If you work in a hospital, get this, there's a study that showed lawsuits went down, and even more importantly, deaths went down when people did less of this. This is the key to taking ownership of your life. It is one of the most attractive qualities in people that we're attracted to. If you ignore this, potential allies become adversaries. And as I mentioned earlier, you already know how to do this thing. It comes instinctually. All you need to do is do less of it. That thing is blame. Blame. If you're taking notes, I might write this down too. Blame is a really, really big deal. In 2020, back in 2020, how many of you are here for the series, The Blameless Project? In 2020, several of you, you were. Over the course of that series, here's what happened with that series. I had person after person come up to me, and the conversation went something like this. Hey, Chris, when you first mentioned we're going to do a whole series on blame, I was thinking, how is that a series? And then they would say this, after a week or two into the series, I found myself, I'm noticing blame everywhere. I'm noticing that I'm doing it. I'm noticing everybody around me is doing it. And then about a week after that, they said, I found myself thinking, all right, this blameless thing is a really, really big deal. And not long after that, they found themselves convinced, all right, this is something that other people need to hear about as well. And I hope that's your experience here too. The amount of subconscious processing that's going on in our brains at any given time, it is astounding. Our brains are constantly taking in stuff that it's moving at faster than the speed of conscious thought. And here's something about that that you want to keep in mind. It came across this great quote. The frightening truth is that when we're not thinking about our thinking, our thinking starts to what? Think on its, on its own. And it is really, really easy when we're thinking about this, to spot blaming in others, what we don't often do is go, it is happening almost all the time. Almost all the time. We're doing it and not even thinking about it. Blame is everywhere. Over the course of the series, we're going to um, introduce you or bring up some people maybe you already know, names that some of you are going to recognize, like Dr. Brene Brown. She says this about blame. She says, we live in a blame culture, she says. We want to know whose fault it is and how they're going to pay. Just last week, just last week, I had this feed, um, this story article comes into my news feed from the Harvard, Harvard Business Review. It was an article, and the name of that article was Blame Culture is Toxic. Blame culture, according to this article, and it was, it's confirmed through other studies as well, it, it leads to bad behaviors. Our brains interpret blame the same way they interpret a physical attack. When you're blamed, that instinct, fight or flight, kicks in as it would with a physical attack. So what happens? You get primed to either flee or attack when you're blamed. So no wonder this is so destructive, which the author points out, you know, when that starts happening, it sabotages our ability to actually solve problems because you're not thinking with the thinking part of your brain. There's a better way of living. And over the course of the series, we're going to open our books, our Bibles, to the Old Testament books of Genesis and Nehemiah. We're going to open up to the New Testament books of Matthew's gospel and also Paul's letters. We're going to look at both 
Romans and Galatians. This is, there's teaching all throughout the scripture that is really helpful on this topic. We're also going to point you to outstanding supplementary resources that take the biblical principles and then apply them to our inner world, to our unique circumstances, to relationships, to teams, to workplaces. So what I want to do today is give you a quick 10,000-foot flyover of where we're going to go in the weeks ahead. Here's what we're going to look at next week. Blame goes back to the beginning. Blame goes back to the beginning. Our minds, they default to blame instantly and automatically. And if you ever wonder, why is that? Well, people that study these things, they take it back to the beginning. And one of the things I find fascinating is whether you're a Christian who trusts what Scripture says about the beginning or whether you're a naturalist who disregards the Bible Both of those camps, when they go back and trace blame, both of them take blame all the way back to the dawn of humanity. In the Christian account that we see in the book of Genesis, which we're going to look at next week, if you believe that story about our origin, as many of us do, one of the first things that the first people did when sin entered the world was what? Blame. They blamed God. They blamed the devil. They blamed each other. It was blame, 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 blame. And... If you believe that humanity evolved over millions and millions of years, also when you trace that back, people say blame goes back to the beginning. They say as our brains were being able to function in different ways and we started to recognize the importance of tribes, this blame response was a protective mechanism that began to become hardwired in us where we wanted to keep our status with the tribe. So anytime we would do something that maybe would make us look like, hey, kick them off the island, that it was one of those things we would then blame somebody else. So both camps say the blame goes back to the beginning. We all have a deep need to feel competent. We all have a deep need to feel liked. And when we're not thinking about our thinking, our brains think they're helping us by let's blame. You know, so people don't think that we're to blame for the thing that happened. But here's the thing about blame. Blame usually backfires. Let me give you three examples of that that we're going to look at over the next several weeks. Number one, blame reinforces Glass ceilings. What's a glass ceiling? A glass ceiling is something invisible that keeps you from leveling up. Blame reinforces that. When you start to see yourself as a victim of circumstance, you start adding thickness to that glass. I love this quote by Henry Ford. It's overstated, but there's a lot of truth to it. Whether you believe you can do a thing or not, you're what? You're right. I love that. In week three of the series... We're going to have a conversation about blaming circumstances. Humans, we've got this unique response ability. We're going to talk about that. When we blame less, when we use our unique response ability more, we are capable of shattering glass ceilings that we never thought we could otherwise do. Glass ceilings that will hold other people back. All right, here's another way that blame holds people back. Blame triggers the triangle trap. Blame triggers the triangle trap. I got introduced to the triangle trap by our family counselor. And I tell you what, this opened my eyes. See if you can't think of situations where this comes to play. Can we put that up on on the screens? This is the triangle trap. Here's the model. In this model, people either see themselves and those around us as the victim, as the oppressor, or as the rescuer. And you start to see the whole world as that. Are you with me or against me? Are you for me or are you for them? 
This, this plays out all the time. In week four, we're going to have a conversation about blaming others. When we jump too quickly to blame, you end up turning a potential ally into an adversary. Instead of saying, hey, can we come at this thing together? They become the enemy. And instead of our brains and all of our energy getting devoted to solving problems and building bridges, all of that energy gets devoted to defending our positions or attacking somebody else. Let me give you one more example. A third way that blame will hold you back is this. Blame is a slippery slope to shame and scapegoating. That line between what I did and who I am, that is an important distinction. And when that starts to get blurred, when what we did becomes who we think we are, that's where you start on that slippery slope to shame. And if you've ever experienced the feelings of shame, if you know someone who has, shame can lead you to some of the darkest and deepest and most isolating pain that I know of. And then when it comes to scapegoating, when, when people start to blur that line between here's what they did and who's, here's who they are, when those things get, bl- get all blurred, that's when we start to scapegoat. And we start to say they are the problem, intrinsically who they are. And when we become convinced that the problem is personified in another person, and th- then there's no hope for reconciliation, no hope at all. That's the kind of thinking that justifies racism. That's the kind of thinking that led to the Holocaust. That's the kind of thinking behind so many wars. They're the problem. They're the enemy. The only solution is to eliminate them. All right, well, before we open our Bibles together, I think it's really important as we're opening this series to make something really, really clear, and that's this. Remember, this is not the Blame Never Project. We all good on this? It is not the Blame Never Project. Sometimes blame is necessary. Can I get an amen? All right, let's say you're on a boat and your boat starts filling with water. It's leaking. Do you want to find out where that leak is? Do you want to find the correct source of that? Yes, of course. You know, when it comes to blaming others, everything breaks down. Everything breaks down when you don't hold people accountable. How how do you have courts without having blame, right? So this is not the blame never in any circumstances project. It is the blame space less project. And one of the things that we discovered in 2020, when we start to blame less, we actually start to blame better. Because instead of just instinctually jumping to blame, we start to get the rest of our thinking portions of our brain working. We start to identify where is the real source of the problem. We get better at blaming by blaming less. When we pause, when we think about our thinking, we become better at identifying what's really going on here and working together to solve problems. So let's learn to embrace that space between blame and blameless because the way we blame holds people back. You know, and I just think of all of these examples of how easy it is to do that. Let's say your kid loses a soccer game. What do we normally do? (laughs) We blame the ref. This is as parents. We blame the weather. We blame, well, it was the defense's fault. It was the offense's fault. We end up, what are we teaching kids? What better lessons could be learned if we just listen and, and those types of things. Or let's say there's a breakdown at work and we blame another person. We jump to that or a department or the market. What's the opportunity cost when instead of devoting our focus to the problem itself, we're just busy ascribing blame? All right, listen to this. 
when the results of 22 separate studies on blaming others, so 22 separate studies, they analyzed the results of 22 separate studies on blaming others. They analyzed them. They synthesized them at the University of Connecticut. 77% of those studies revealed that people who blamed others ended up worse off for doing so. 77%. They were worse off either physically or emotionally. Worse off after blaming others. You know about the other 23%? They said there's no difference, no benefit. So you got a 77% chance it's going to get worse. You got 0% chance that it's going to, or 20, whatever, 3% chance it might not get worse. Why would you jump to blame? Please repeat after me. There must be a way. Please repeat after me. (laughs) A better way. There must be. And I believe we have a creator who wants to help. Can you imagine a world where people blamed less? Can you imagine if politicians blamed less? Oh, my goodness. News outlets, influencers, supervisors, employees, teammates, fans, families, couples, brothers, sisters, teens, kids, all of us. Not never. What if we just blamed less? I believe that something that the God of the Bible doesn't want just for us only is this. I believe he wants us to be able to live this out and share this with others. (laughs) In fact, it was interesting. Just this morning, I did it again. I did this in 2020. It was true. I did it this morning, which is uh, October 17th, right now when we're filming this. I did it this morning. According to Google, blame spaceless is not a thing. And everything is a thing on Google. It redirects you to blameless, one word. Blame spaceless is not a thing according to Google. Let's make it a thing by God's grace. It might take three years. It might take five years. It might take 10 years. But let me be serious. I envision a day when we've created a course, an online course that has these basic principles and that there are people in all 50 states who have completed the course, are living the lesson, and are sharing the stories. It might take a long time, but I'm committed to that by God's grace. So all of this stuff we've been talking about, it's anchored in Scripture. These are biblical principles. So let's open our Bibles together, if you got them, to the book of Romans. If you don't have a Bible at home, you can find a great Bible app at Bible.com. I encourage you to, to download that. All right, Romans. That's what we're going to be looking at. Romans is one of the most magnificent expositions of the Christian faith ever written. In fact, my very first 20-page paper was on one verse from Romans. That's how rich this, this letter is. Romans, it starts by taking us back to the beginning. And from there, it unpacks humanity's need for someone to rescue us from ourselves. Romans reminds us, hey, we all have sinned, all of us. And Romans also reminds us that we've got this gracious father. And even though he makes his laws known, it's as if those very laws just illuminate the brokenness that separates us from God and one another. But God's made a way, we read in Romans, to save us and set us free through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus, the Messiah. And we're invited into this faith-based community, this family that's made up of men and women, young and old, Jew and Gentile. So chapters 1 through 11, they lay out that theological foundation. And then comes chapter 12, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open me with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. 
where Paul says this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. So that's what he says there. And what's interesting, he has that therefore there. It's usually a good idea when you come to a therefore in the Bible, we've said this before, to ask what it's there for. And here's how one scholar put it. The word therefore is one of the most underrated words in the English language. Therefore is like a hinge on a door that acts as the link between the wall and the door and enables one to relate to one another. In scripture, therefore holds together doctrinal principles and practical application. The exposition of Christian truth, it requires a response in the enlightened heart. And with this in mind, the apostle asked his readers to do some realistic evaluation of their application of spiritual truth. So all that to say, this therefore that we just looked at in verse 1, it's pointing back to that whole theological foundation that's just been laid. And now it's the therefore is, okay, how do we live this out? And that's what Romans is about from that point on. In light of all that God has done for us and the sacrifice that God made on our behalf of his own son, we're challenged to what? We're challenged to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And this is one of those images that is so important when you try to understand this, to have a study Bible at home. Can't recommend that enough. We have a couple examples out there at the Resource Center here at the studio. If you come and drop by sometime, I'd encourage you to take a look at those. Also, we have um, examples at the Resource Center that we've just added to the community center. They're so helpful because you can unpack this. You can find out about how, you know, a lot of times we think of religion as ideas. We think of it as beliefs. Back in the day, it was sacrifice. Back when this was being written, sacrifice was at the center of so many religions. So in the ancient world, these people were obsessed with sacrifice. Paul takes something they could relate to readily, and he says, hey, 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 we're in a new age. And the time for sacrificing sheep, the time for sacrificing goats, that's done. There was a sacrifice. It was Christ. It was once for all. And this God on a response to that level of commitment from him, it's not to go kill a goat. It's to offer our whole selves as a living sacrifice to him. Paul goes on then to explain more about what this means. Let's go back to our text, verse 2. It says this. Don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, his good, acceptable, and perfect will. These words were written about 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years later, you might want to write this down, science is catching up with Scripture. That's something we come across pretty regularly here at our church. Science is catching up with Scripture. If, if you hadn't written that down yet, I encourage you to do so. Do you know this is literally true? We can rewire our brains. We know this now. This is something that most people didn't know back then unless they're reading Scripture. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, as the Scripture says. Our minds not only can be renewed and transformed, but those very same broken impulses that lead us to instantly blame, you can reroute those thoughts through the thinking part of your brain. You can use that cue to blame to actually start a different pathway, literally, in your brain. 
the term that we use for that today is neuroplasticity. Now, if you function on autopilot, here's what happens. Here's another great quote. Our brain likes to believe the things it what? <laughs> Already believes. You know, right? We're magnets for information and experiences that confirm the things that we already think about ourselves in our world. There's an invitation here in an ancient text that we believe is God-breathed to retrain our brains and transform our minds. One of my sources put it like this for Paul. The mind and the body, they're closely interconnected. They must work as a coherent team. Having one's mind renewed and offering God's one body, that's all part of the same event. We can get that same automatic blame cue that works against us, working for us. That's where I think that whole word redemption, I think that plays in here. You know, redeeming our minds. The idea that we can redeem broken ways of thinking, it is so well documented. Again, science catches up with scripture. There's even a phrase that describes this. It's called Herb's, Heb's Law. It goes like this. Neurons that fire together, wire together. When we blame first, when we blame over and over again, we're creating a super pathway in our brain, right, to blame. But what if, like the scripture says here, what if we invite that same God who inspired Paul's words to help us rewire our minds along these lines? Let's go back to our text, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I highlighted that phrase more highly because I think that is the key right there. If you think of yourself too less, you know, then that's not helpful. It can lead to shame. It can lead to all kinds of things. But if you think of yourself too highly, then it puts you in pride, right? And you don't stop to question, maybe the ways I'm thinking right now aren't right. And you're not open to trying to explore different possibilities. Well, if we had more time, I would love to go line by line through the rest, not just of this chapter, but the rest of Romans. And I encourage you to, to read that. You're going to see a whole lot of practical application then of the first 11 chapters. And so much at the heart of what Paul is getting at, it's not just talking to individuals. His really main point is building a community. We saw this when we were doing that um, Dear Suburban Church series. We did a series on 1 Corinthians this summer. And I was blown away. I mean, I thought I knew that book, but I was blown away going back into it. How much of the emphasis there, Paul really wanted people to experience these communities of faith. Paul was all in on Jesus' vision for the church. And in Paul's day in Rome... That was hard, messy work. And the same is true today. Community, real community, authentic community, it is hard, messy work. There were so many things dividing people in those days. And the headwinds, we think headwinds are strong now. They didn't just include a culture that saw things differently. There were periods when Rome actively was persecuting Christians. And Paul says, you know, you throw blame in the mix, things are tough already, you know. You throw blame in the mix, that, that works against the kind of community that Paul cast a vision for. In chapter 8, Paul says we're more than conquerors. You think about the challenges they were facing? They didn't let that be glass ceilings. Oh man, we can't do anything because Nero, they changed the world. 
How often today do we hear church people blaming circumstances? Oh, things are so hard. You know, we're fighting TikTok or whatever. What are you doing when we do that? We make that, those blaming circumstances, we're making that glass ceiling thicker and thicker and thicker, and it becomes harder and harder to see through it. And so verses like, with God, all things are possible, just become blurred and we forget that. And we'll look at some of the examples of that in two weeks. And right here in chapter 12, Paul casts a vision for this diverse community that's like one body with many parts, like what we saw at camp. How often do you see people, church people, doing the opposite? Forming their little factions, blaming one another, instead of, let's come together, let's have a conversation. Let's talk. Let's do the hard work of working through our stuff together. We may disagree, but then let's disagree well. The Bible's got exceptional guidance, exceptional guidance on that. And we're going to look at it in the Gospel of Matthew. All right, chapter 12. Chapter 12 closes with these indicators that you're on the right path. Do you have indica- how do you have indicators you're on the right path of what Paul's talking about with community? He says this. Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, an abbreviated version of that. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one, evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then I love this phrase. If possible, what's, what are the next words? So far as what? It depends on you. Remember that. You can't control what other people do, right? But as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Don't ever be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Again, when we did that Dear Suburban Church series and worked our way through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, I was so struck by Paul's commitment to the churches he founded. Paul was all in on this vision to create communities of faith that were living and modeling a better way. As far as it depends on you, are you modeling these things? Last time we did this series, <laughs> Pastor Jason had a great, great quote. He said, blame is like using a hammer when something's stuck in your teeth. <laughs> I love that. And while the world's out doing that, think how we're going to stand out in a toxic blame culture as our minds are being transformed. And we're modeling this better way. Blaming Wes is a better way. So here's our invitation to you as we begin this series, rapid fire in the last four. Let's retrain our brains. Let's reclaim our lives. Let's share our stories. And this last one might need a little explanation. Let's build an ark. Let's build an ark. What's an ark? An ark's a God-sized vision. What's an ark? An ark is something that takes time to build. And here's the thing about arcs. They don't make sense to those who can't see why this matters. As this series goes on, I hope you get a more vision, vivid vision of the difference that something like this could make in your life and in the lives of others. It literally, it literally can save lives. You're going to hear people testify that it almost kept them from doing amazing things. And I've heard it said this. I've heard so many people say, everyone's got a million dollar idea. Often it's that glass ceiling that keeps you from it. So those things may sound lofty, so I want to just close with an everyday example. 
So let me give you a true story, everyday example. It happened last time we were doing this message. It was a Thursday, um, this series back in 2020. It was a Thursday. I was working on one of the blameless messages. And I had a haircut scheduled with my guy, Ethan, who was in Saint, working in St. Paul at the time. So I, it normally took me 20 to 25 minutes to get there, so I'd give myself 30 because there's always something that comes up. Well, it was one of those weeks. I'm working really hard. got a lot going on. I'm going, I'm going to squeeze in one more five-minute thing. So I squeeze in one more five-minute thing, so now I'm right cutting the edge. So if everything goes good, I'm going to hit it. What do you think happened? Every single red light. I mean, I, it was every red light. Heading down Lexington, hitting every single red light. And I'm not making this up. You know what else I hit? If you've ever gone down that Lexington where that super target is in Shoreview, it was the train. It was the train. I'm like, you're kidding me. I hit the train. And it wasn't just the short train. It was one of those long trains. And I don't know why they do this. It was the long train that goes really and slows down and it stops. And then it backs up a little bit. I don't know why they do that. That one decided to do it. So now every red light, every train, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going further. I hit more red lights. I get to the place where Dale goes over 94. Guess what? The place where Dale Knights goes over 94, I couldn't go over 94 because there was construction. So I get rerouted back to Lexington, which I was on. And I tell you, I'm all the way along, every step along the line, hit a red light. What happens in my head? Blame that red light when you get there. I get the train. What happens in my head? Blame the train when you get there and the red lights. I hit construction. What is my little blame? Instantly. I'm not thinking on this. Instantly, this thought comes in my head. Blame the red light. Blame the train. Blame the construction. And then I noticed on my wrist, <laughs> I had a little black band that we had handed out during those series. A little black band that says the Blameless Project on it. I said, I should probably apply this thing that we're going to be talking about on Sunday. And so I got there late. And I said, Ethan, I'm sorry. I didn't give myself enough time. Your time is valuable. And I am so sorry. I hope this doesn't throw off your schedule. It was really interesting. Ethan looks at me and he says, Chris, I'm sorry are two words I almost never hear. People are late a lot. I almost never hear I'm sorry. He doesn't know I'm thinking of the whole blameless thing. He goes, you know what? Generally what people do, they blame. They blame something else, you know? And he goes, that's, that's hard. He says, I want to say thank you. I want to thank, say thank you for being honest and, and affirming that this is a, a, a deal. And then we ended up having this little blameless bonding moment. And he started asking some questions. We had to have, have a conversation about this whole thing. As I mentioned earlier, we did a series called The Blameless Project. Why are we doing it again? We're circling back because we promised we would. We're circling back because we have about 200 more people than we did back in 2020. We're circling back because we've got some new content that I want to share with you. And we're circling back because we've got some unfinished business with this series that we've been working on. I'm really excited to tell you some updates as the series goes on. But for now, I want to encourage you, if you're here, you, if you'd like to pick up one of those wristbands, you can right there in the back. Um, for those online, reach out to us. Um, let us know. Uh, go to emmanuel.church slash next. If you'd like us to send you one, we can do that too. And I'd like you, you know, to, to do whatever it's going to take to have a memory cue that starts to retrain your brain. See how often brain start, blame starts to come up in yourself. See how often you see it in others. And uh, we're going to have some fun in this series. We really are.
So let's pray as we continue on with it. Lord, we're so thankful that you have this better way that you invite us into. And this whole idea of blame coming in with sin, I mean, that, that's not coincidental. Because that serpent, he loves to steal, he loves to kill, he loves to destroy, he loves to separate. And blame does all those things. So Lord, help us to be more aware. We pray for your Holy Spirit to make us more aware as that blame and sin can sin in ourself. Help us to be more aware of seeing it out there, everywhere we go. And Lord, we pray that however long it takes, Lord, you could use our little church to help more people blame less. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.